Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I want to focus on the verse where it says, I go to prepare a place for you. Everybody say, I go to prepare a place for you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, I come to you, Lord, and I ask for your help tonight. God, I've stepped out in faith with this message, believing that you will be with me tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bring to remembrance the things that you have spoken to me in secret. God, that you would be with my lips. I do not, I do not crutch myself upon gifts and talents, but, Lord, I rely solely upon your anointing, solely upon your spirit, God, because only then will, yo- will the yoke be destroyed. God, I did not come to preach to appease the opinions of men, but, God, tonight I come to preach for the audience of one. So, God, let what I do tonight please you. And God, I come with the expectancy that you're going to do what only you can do tonight. And in your name we pray, amen and amen. The text we read from tonight is Jesus' discord to his disciples. It's nearing the end of his journey. His earthly ministry is coming to a close. Jesus is, is, in, is letting his disciples know that, that it's, it's what being with me physically is about to come to an end. And as you can expect, spending three years with a person every single day, every single meal, every single time in prayer, besides when Jesus departed and went to pray by himself, you get a sense of dread towards that day. You get a sense of dread of of Peter saying, Lord, who else are we going to go to? Where else are we going to run to? John the Baptist is in prison. There's so many others that are deceiving. The Pharisees are wrong. The Sadducees are wrong. Who are we going to go to? And Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, focused more on the 12 and focused more on the internal, the ones who are going to carry this message. And we find these words in the beginning of this chapter. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let, don't, don't, don't let your heart be so discouraged sometimes. And in Matthew 24, 6, we also see Jesus saying, See that you are not troubled for all these things. Wars and rumors of wars must come, but the end is not yet. We see in John 14, 27, later on in this chapter, Jesus again tells them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither, neither let it be afraid. And then in John 16, 33, we read, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And, and, and as you wonder why Jesus, in, in, in the last part of, of his words, why he was so focused on telling his disciples, don't be discouraged. Don't be troubled when you see trials come about you. Don't be so caught up in in, in what's going on around you. Don't be so fixated upon the temporary trials that you are facing. 
And then Peter, who ultimately received these words from Jesus, who was in the twelve, who would ultimately go and be persecuted, to be put in prison, to be crucified upside down, and, and warned ahead of time the death that he would die. We read in his letter in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Jesus didn't want you to be all of a sudden surprised when trials came about you. He didn't want you to be surprised when Nebuchadnezzar turned the heat up seven times hotter and put you in the fiery furnace. Jesus didn't want you to be surprised when this world would come against you, come against the word of God, come against the people of God, and try to, to, to discourage you from, from, from the goal of heaven. Jesus wanted to set the record straight. I know that in this world you will have persecutions. I know that in this world people will talk about you. I know in this world things may happen to you that you never ask for, but it is a work of the devil. But for this reason was the Son of God manifest that the works of the devil would be destroyed. Young people, don't be so caught up in here and now. Don't be so caught up in, in the temporary trials that you'll face in life. And don't be surprised when it happens. Jesus instructed, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. But later in that verse, what does he say? Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And it seems almost like a little redundant why Jesus was saying that. And then you read when Jesus is, 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 is in John chapter 8, I believe it is, when he's talking to the Pharisees, that he says, And Abraham longed to see my day. And, and most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus is saying, you believed in God. Peter, you, you, you were a Jewish descent. You believed in Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You believed in the God who split the Red Sea. You believe in the God the, 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 who, who, who caused the fire in the fiery furnace to not affect them. I am that who, 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 who was in the fiery furnace. He's saying, I'm the same God that split the Red Sea. You've read about me before and you believed in him. So hold on to that belief that the same God who split the Red Sea will do it for you today. I may go away, but if you believed in God, if you believe that God split the Red Sea back then, believe that he can do it now. If you believe that God can restore families back then, believe that he can do it now. If you believe that God can heal cancer out of Harley Hensley, believe that he can do it now. He's the same God. Yes, you'll face tribulations, but so did Daniel. So did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the same God that delivered them and took the heat out of the flame is the same God who is saying, I am that I am to the Pharisees. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Paul, who would know something about persecution, he said 40 times, three times I was lashed 40 times. I was shipwrecked. I was sick. I was beaten. I was stoned. I, I, I came to the point where I was almost dead. He, he knew a little something about what it meant when he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in your body. The word believe that Jesus uses is the word pastuo. Pastuo is, is almost as if I'm crediting you something. I'm giving you credit. I, I am entrusting you to a wealth 
that, 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 that I possess. And what it means to believe in Jesus is to entrust everything that you are, everything that you hold dear in your life into the master's hands. Yes, troubled times will come to you. Yes, your parents may get a divorce. Yes, you, you, you know, you'll, you'll face sickness in your life and loved ones will pass away. And sweet sister Amanda may pass away. But don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. The same God that delivered the children of Israel is the same God who's with us today. And so we get to verse 2. And then when Jesus is, it, it, it's so encouraging to me. And, and it almost brings a tear to your eye when you read this. Because here Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Basically warning them, you're going to face troubles and trials. He's letting them know, don't be dismayed with temporary things. But he doesn't just leave them there. You see, Jesus then goes on to say, um, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and, and what he's doing is he's letting you know that there's something beyond this. There's something beyond this present time. There's something beyond this present time of mourning and grief. There, there's, there, there's something on the other side of this life that there is to attain to. And, and heaven is the goal tonight, church. Heaven is the goal of this life. To be with Jesus. To be where he was. But it's not enough to just say heaven's the goal. I like to know where I'm going, Brother Cody. I like to know what to expect when I get there. So if I could for the next few moments, I just want to share a few things about heaven. And, and, and we actually learn probably the most about getting to heaven from the thief on the cross. Just one verse. Jesus is, is dying and this man who's hanging on the cross says, Lord, when you get to your kingdom, remember me. Remember me. He didn't say a sacrament. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't kneel at an altar. But he said, God, remember me. He wasn't a church kid. He didn't grow up biting the pew. He didn't grow up praising God. He didn't grow up raising his hands. But he died the death of a thief. Yet God remembered him in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, Assuredly I say to you, Today, Not a, mo not, not, not a week, Not a month, not, not, not any amount of time, But today, The moment you draw your last breath, To be absent from the body is to be present of the to be present with the Lord. Guys, it's not going to take a month for you to just figure out what's going on somewhere in, in, in the afterlife. It's not going to take um, some kind of journey or, or odyssey that Jesus has to take. But when you go and breathe your last breath, Jesus says today, the moment you draw your last breath, you will be with me. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. But today... You may be hanging on a cross right now, thief, but today you will be with me in paradise. And, and the second thing that we learn from that verse is he says, you will be with me. Yes, we'll be with loved ones. Yes, we'll be reunited with those who have gone before us. But most importantly, I will be with Jesus. I will be with the one who my soul loves, the one who my soul longs for, the one who I was created to be with. And then we learn, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise uh, is, is such a, a specific use in the, in, in, in the Greek that it's not attributed to anything else. The word paradise is so magnificent, there is nothing on earth to compare it to, so the scholars just attributed it to Eden. They said, all right, this word is so specific, let's just, let's just basically say it's like Eden. It's so good, guys. Heaven is, such, as heaven is such a joy to, 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 to long for, to look for. That's the goal tonight. 
I've come to build your faith. I've come to say that don't worry about what's happening today. Don't worry about what's going to happen to you tomorrow. But look to God as the author and finisher of your faith and know that this world is not my home. I am just a pilgrim here. I am going to a place that has been prepared by a carpenter's hands. Amen. In Revelation 22, 1 through 5, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer, no longer, Pastor Tad, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of uh, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Again, I read in, in Revelation 21, 4 through 5, that Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning. You're not going to grieve anymore, church. You're not going to mourn anymore. You're not going to sow tears anymore. But it says, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. The he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Everything that you're facing today is not going to compare to standing with Jesus when all things are made new. When the new heaven and new earth to sin, I will be with him. I will be worshiping with him. Glory to his name. I've come to increase your faith tonight. There's a place better than this. We do not belong here. Not one of us were created for this world. Not one of us were created with the destiny of dying and just rotting in some tomb that with some fancy headstone. Amen. Hebrews eleven thirteen verses six says, "These Abraham, Moses, uh, the, the the in the hall of faith in, in in chapter eleven in Hebrews, these all died in faith, not having received the promises." But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. They were not so caught up in what this world has to offer, but they understood that the promise of God is not going to be fulfilled in this earth, but it's going to be fulfilled when I go to heaven, when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, I will be with him. I'm not a, I don't belong here. I, my citizenship is of heaven. You are just a pilgrim going on a journey with the goal of heaven. Hallelujah. And, 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 and with the goal of heaven, we read in verse 3, Jesus says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise God. It, a goal properly set is halfway there is halfway there a goal properly set is halfway there Zig Ziglar said that he said a goal properly set is halfway there it's not enough for you to just to say I want to go to heaven it's, it's not enough for you to just say um, that's the goal it's not enough to just set that in your mind but there must be an achieving of that goal Paul told the Corinthian church it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you were doing a year ago but where there was a willingness and a desire to do it there must also be a completion that's a good rule for life and it's also a good rule to get into heaven don't just do what you were doing yesterday don't just do what you were doing uh, your last youth conference or at CCA chapel revival but there must be a completion of your salvation there must be a completion of your faith Faith. There must be a completion of your work on earth. And the only way that's going to be completed is with Jesus Christ as your Savior all the days of your life. 
To achieve a goal is not to just say a goal. What does it take to achieve a goal? Number one, discipline. It takes discipline to achieve a goal. One of the most common New, New Year's resolutions, and, and you'll hear it this year, is I want to lose weight. I want to I get healthy. I want to get fit. I want to stop drinking soda. I, I, I want to stop playing video games as much. I, I want to stop smoking cigarettes. Those are good goals. Those are good resolutions. But if you don't have the discipline to say no to those things, if you don't have the discipline to, to, to set aside those things and, and, and to be so fixated on that goal that it doesn't matter what the temptation may be. It doesn't matter how good that donut looks. It doesn't matter how hey, full of anxiety I am to smoke that cigarette. It doesn't matter what happened at work that makes you want to eat a full plate of mac and cheese. I have discipline to say no. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. That rest is heaven. That rest is seizing from your labors on earth. That rest is, is going to a place where the lamb and the lion lie together and eat. The, 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 that, that place of rest is where the child can lay down and sleep in a cobra's den. That rest must be entered by those who are diligent. Those who are disciplined. Those who have the ability to, to say no to the tempter. Those who have the ability to say no to their girlfriend. Those who have the ability to say, no, I'm not doing that. I've set a goal. I want to go to heaven. I'm not going to sleep around. I'm not going to drink whatever is offered to me. I'm not going to hate and cuss my neighbor out. But I have set a goal that I am getting to heaven. So I am disciplined enough to say no. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27 says, Therefore, because we have heaven to gain, I added that part in there as a, sum, as a summation of the previous verses. Because we have heaven to gain, I run thus, not with uncertainty. But what, what, what Paul is saying, I'm running, but I know where I'm going. Has anybody ever ran a marathon? With, with, do you think anybody would run a marathon if they didn't know where the finish line was? They'd be running for miles. And, and, and may never even see the finish line. But what Paul's saying is, I know where I'm running. And then he says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. We're not just out, out here fighting nothing. We're not just out here fighting, you know, it's, uh, something that just dissipates into thin air. But we know what we're running to, and we know what we're fighting. We are fighting the works of the flesh. We are fighting Satan. We are fighting the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. We are fighting, and we know what we're fighting against. But most importantly, we know what we're running to. When the, when the, when the goal is clear, Pastor Tad, when the goal is so visible to you, you know where to run. Amen. And then 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the face, faith. Test yourselves. It ought to be your duty. It ought to be your conviction to every day stand up and say, God, examine me. Search me, oh God. Search in me and renew a steadfast spirit and a clean heart in me. Search me. It is your due diligence to be disciplined enough to go to heaven. No one's going to do it for you. I don't care how young you are. It is your discipline. If it's your goal to get into heaven, you will discipline yourself to get there. Praise God. Do not become distracted is number two. Philippians 3 verses 10. Paul says, I suffer loss in this world for Jesus that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I know it may be hard to lose things in this world. I know it may be hard to lose Sister Amanda. And believe me, I, I was so torn up. I didn't ever know what to say. I, you know, I, I, 
you may lose things in this life. You may lose more than you, you, you know, your car or your house. But whatever I lose, I lose for Christ. I don't care what happens to me in this world. I don't care if my condo is foreclosed tomorrow because I lose things and I suffer for Jesus that I may know him. One day it's not going to matter what kind of house I what, what kind of house I lived in. One day it's not going to matter who I dated in high school. Praise God. One day it's not going to matter what kind of car I drive. But what's going to matter is that I knew Him on earth, and He said, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." Woo! Praise God. Philippians three twelve through fourteen says, "This is one of my favorite scripture verses. Not that I have already attained the, the the heavenly citizenship, the heavenly place that Jesus has prepared for me, or am already perfected. I'm none of those things. I haven't got there yet. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me, brethren. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do: I I, I forgetting those things." which are behind and reaching forward to, the, to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, look, what Paul is saying is I haven't made it yet. I haven't quite got there. I have not attained to the resurrection of the dead. I'm not in heaven yet. And, and, but one thing I do to get me there is I look at what happened yesterday. I look at what happened 30 seconds ago. And if it was contrary to my goal, I say, get away from me. I'm pushing you away. If it's a person, get out of here. But I must press toward the upward call of God all my life. I press. That is such a, an opposing word. That's such a, um, um, it, you have to be involved. It's such a word that, 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 in, that, that has such a connotation of a person being involved. You have to try. You have to press. You have to push your past some things. But this one thing I do, I press past what my neighbor said about me yesterday. I press past what people think about me. I press past what people have said about me. I press past what the devil says of me that I may obtain. And third, to achieve a goal, you must differentiate your wants and needs. You must be able to differentiate if you need this or do you just want this. The Bible says in Mark 14, verses, uh, verse 38, Watch and pray, Peter, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 7, 19 says, this is just, the, the, this scripture is, is, is the definition of insanity, okay? Just, just hold on. Romans 7, 19 says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Wants are convenient, but they're not necessary to survival. If you were, Faith and I used to watch Survivor. Has anybody ever watched Survivor? Obviously, they're, they're doing good. Obviously, you know, they're not out there surviving. They're, they're being filmed by a radio crew eating Big Macs when the camera's off. Praise God. But... You have to strive. When, 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 when you're surviving, you can't rely on a Coke. You need water. When you need, when, when, when you need shelter, you can't rely on, 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 you know, not having shelter. But you have to differentiate your wants and needs to achieve a goal. Do I, let's just take, for example, weight loss. Do I want this banana? Do I need this banana? Do I want that salad? Obviously not. Do I need the salad? Probably 
You have to differentiate your wants and needs. The flesh is going to prick and pry at you to get you to want, to get you to desire, but the spirit is what you need. You need prayer. You need fasting. You need your word every single day because the flesh is constantly pushing, so you must constantly be fighting against it. I recognize when my flesh starts talking. I recognize when my flesh starts wanting something. But then I recognize a greater cause. And the cause is greater than my difference. I might want something. But I have to understand and have the discipline to say, I don't need you. Praise God. And then number four, you have to trust the process. You must be conformed to the image of Christ. You will not get into heaven looking like anything else. If you're not conformed on the potter's wheel, when you get to heaven, you're going to look like a disheveled mess. And God's going to say, you never let me mar you. You never let me shake you. You never let me mold you. You never let me touch you. You never let me fix you. But you refuse to get on my potter's wheel. Praise God. And, and to draw an example, I would like to give you the illustration of building a house. And we're talking about trusting the process. First, you need a blueprint. First, you need floor plans, Pastor Tad. Pastor Tad has floor plans now. And when you build a house, you have to start somewhere. And what, what, what you start with, you start with the rough idea of what you want. You say, this is the blueprint. The floor goes here. The bathroom's going to be here. Pastor Tad showed me his property. He knows where everything's going to be. And guess what? Not a shovel has been in there yet, but he knows what is going to be there? He has trusted the manual. He has given over to the blueprint. And that blueprint for us to get to heaven is the word of God. I don't care what Joseph Smith says. I don't care what Buddha thought or what Confucius may have come across after eating bad food the night before. But what I've come to tell you is to get into heaven, to trust the process. You must rely on the manual, which is the word of God. There is no compromise. There is no time for play, baby. There is no time for clothes. Bibles you are not too young to understand his word I don't care how often your parents read the Bible you read the Bible I don't care how often uh, you, you you've heard an Instagram preacher preach on Instagram you read the Bible you don't rely on anything for the blueprint to get to heaven but the word of God Hebrews 4, 11 through 13 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's going to be painful to put those blueprints down because Pastor Ted, they probably told you, you can't put that there. You can't get that inside of this, this plan. You can't fit your, your, your complete vision and what you want in exactly this plan. We can work around it. We can make adjustments, but you can't get exactly what you want. And that's exactly what the word of God is. You can't fit everything that your lifestyle contains into the word of God. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt, but you must trust the process. Praise God. You must also keep the vision. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3 says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Pastor Tad, when you went to build your house and you got your blueprint, you had to show that to the bank, correct? 
The bank had to see your vision. The bank had to see the plan. The bank had to see what's going on. The bank had to see the vision. And in order for you to get to heaven, you can't just have that thought one day. You can't just have that desire one day. But you must keep the blueprint and stay the course and run the mile and keep going. You must hold on to the vision. Don't give in so soon. Don't give in off of just an adrenaline moment with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Don't give in off of just one moment. Don't just hold on to yesterday, but say, I must keep the vision. To also trust the process, you must count the cost. Luke 14, 28 through 30 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish? Pastor Tad, I, I, I love, I, I'm sorry to bring you building your house into this so much, but it, it, it's such a good example. You didn't start building that plan without a budget. You didn't start. When you go to build a house, you can't buy a house over your budget. You must count the cost. Pastor Tad, if you overestimated and said, we're going we're gonna to build this with this amount of money, but that money was less, you'd have open roofs. You'd have tarps over your roof. You'd have windows that weren't sealed. You wouldn't have any insulation. And, and, and what looked on the outside like such a grandiose project now looks like something that you wouldn't even put your dog in, praise God. If you neglect the fact that there is a cost to serving Jesus, you will end up with a disheveled house that was supposed to be something beautiful. But you've neglected everything. You've turned aside and said, I, I can keep this and walk with Jesus. In the end, you will find out that the house that you started building was not finished. Praise God. And also to achieve the goal, use the buddy system. Use a, a, a buddy and, 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 and I'm, I'm going somewhere, just hold on. Find someone with the same goal. You don't want to, if you're trying to lose weight, you don't want to, for whatever reason, shack up with somebody who's trying to gain weight. Praise God. They're going to take you to Pizza King. They're going to take you to Taco Bell. Praise God. They're going to take you to the freshest breakfast bar when you shouldn't be eating that garbage. But if you find somebody who's on the same goal, with the same mind, with the same unity, and with the same vision that you have, it's a lot easier because Solomon said, one is easy to overcome. One is easy to stand against and overpower, but two can withstand them. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. The devil hates unity. The devil hates when you buddy up with somebody in a Bible study. The devil hates when you buddy up and, and, and pray together. But if you have the same vision, there is no demon in hell that can come against you or come against your goal of reaching heaven. Praise God. The banana that gets separated from the bunch is the one that gets peeled. If you want to survive a shark attack, huddle up. If you want to survive uh, um, anything in nature, it's important to find something that you can hold on to. Somebody that you can rely upon. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Stop coming against that person that you're supposed to be going on the same path with. We do not wrestle against each other. We are trying to get there together. We have the same goal to get to heaven. By God, at the end of the sermon, I hope you do. But when you find somebody with the same goal, don't push them down. Don't kick them down. Don't spit on them. Don't talk about them. But walk with them. Praise God. Buddy up with the Holy Spirit. 
Buddy up with the one who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. He is the guarantee, the down payment that Jesus has given to us to get to heaven. Buddy up with the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Todd, as I read this, I know it's not theological. I know it's not. You're not going to find an answer in Scripture to this question. But we'll find out one day. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What happens to the houses, to the dwellings that Jesus works on, for the people who once followed God and backslid? I started to wonder that. I started to wonder if, if, if at the moment of confession, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he starts going to work on your building. We're going to find this out one day, so you can, you can hold me to this one day maybe, I don't know. But he's building it. He's building it. And all of a sudden, you turn your back on God. You walk the opposite direction towards heaven. What happens to that dwelling that he was preparing for you? Is there going to be vacancies in heaven? Is there going to be places that were once reserved for people who said they loved God and started working for God and started walking with Jesus, but now construction has been halted because you turned your back on God? We'll find out one day. Praise God. And I hope it's none of you. I hope none of you have started out walking with Jesus and have turned your back on him since. I started looking up, and I'm getting ready to close, but I started looking up famous failures in, in U.S. history. What are some of the biggest failures in U.S. history? And I, I, I've heard this story my whole life, but when I read it, uh, my eye began to draw on things. And there was a, a rocket in 1986 called the Challenger. Anybody ever heard of the Challenger? Everybody was watching it. It was a spectacle. Nations were looking at it. People were so impressed. They were learning from it. They were deciding on, you know, are, are we going to go to this event? Everybody was watching Challenger on that day in 1986. Only 73 seconds after it launched, it blew up and everybody inside of that shuttle was dead. 73 seconds into their journey to the moon, everything went wrong. And as they began to investigate... What exactly happened, they figured out that there was this little O-ring that, that, that en encases the, <coughs> the thing that shoots fire out when it goes off. It didn't deal well with low temperatures. So when it went up in the air and, and when it got to a certain height and a certain altitude, it froze and it didn't function properly. And the whole thing went kabloom because of one failed mistake. And they said the managers who were over that neglected to look and, and check to see if everything was functioning properly. Something that had the potential to make it to the moon only lasted 73 seconds. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? And then I began to think of Judas Iscariot. He had every, every opportunity to get to heaven. He had every, he had all of the potential to make it to glory, to make it in, in, into that heavenly kingdom. And he'd be there right now. He had all the potential at his disposal. He had Jesus. He had his 11 brothers who were there with every moment. Maybe Judas would have wrote a gospel. Who knows? That's just hypothetical. But he had everything at his disposal to make something of himself, for God to use him to touch the nation for God to change the world through him but he didn't make it and then I'm, I, I thought about that verse that says how shall we escape 
if we neglect so great a salvation? How are you going to make, how was the challenger supposed to make it to the moon when they neglected the small things, when they neglected that little ring that they were supposed to check? They neglected it, but they were supposed to go to the moon, yet they forgot. They didn't have enough uh, care to pay attention to the details. They didn't put enough time and effort into it. You've neglected so much of God. You've neglected his word. You've neglected prayer. You've neglected having an intimate relationship with him. And, and, and you had all of the potential to make it Judas. But only 73 seconds the challenger blew up. Only 73 seconds because of one mistake of neglect. Don't you neglect your salvation. Don't you neglect doing the little things for God. Don't you neglect um, 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 holding on and, and praying and fasting and seeking after God. Don't neglect the little things. Because hey, what, you did, what you set out to make it to the moon, but you didn't make it because of neglect. You can be impressive by how you start, but you'll be remembered by how you finish. You can be impressive by how you start as a young person on fire for God, but one day you're going to be old. One day you're going to get older, and that, that zeal that people had for you as a young person, worshiping God and praising God, isn't going to be there anymore. But you must have God for yourself enough to say, I don't care how I started out. I don't care what, what stepping stone I stood on at the beginning. All I know is that when I finish, I will be remembered in the Lamb's book of life, and I will be with Him. Don't be so caught up in your start that you neglect your finish. I've come to build your faith tonight, church. Heaven is so close. I'm sick and tired of this world. I, 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 when I turn on the news, when I look at social media, it is nothing just but, but, but a reminder that I don't belong here, that I don't live here. This is just a temporary dwelling. I'm an earthen vessel made for more. Death in God's perspective is one of two things. It's either the end of His mercy... Or the beginning of his grace. The end of his mercy. That's what I said. Mercy is, the door, is what closes the door to hell. Mercy is what closes the door to what you deserved. Grace is what opens the door to what you didn't deserve. You didn't deserve heaven. You deserved hell. The mercy of God closed the door to hell. And the grace of God opened the door to heaven. So what happens when you draw your last breath? Either that door, it, uh, either that door to heaven is going to be sealed, closed. And you're going to walk into the abundant grace of God. Where, where, where you have strived. What you have longed for. What Jesus paid his blood for. Or that door of grace is going to be closed. Say, so you've neglected me on earth. You've neglected everything that I've, that I've called you to do. You've resisted my Holy Spirit. You've given in to too many things. You weren't disciplined enough to make the journey. But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that fall asleep, that ye sorrow not even as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also that are fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of God, that we who are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul closes that out by saying, comfort each other with those words. So I've come to comfort you tonight. I've come to tell you that there's a better place than this. Just hold on a little bit longer. Our salvation is nearer than when we first began. It's closer. It's closer. The clock is winding down. We're almost out of here. It's almost over. But don't neglect your earthly call to be an example among all the believers, young people. To be the fragrance of God among those who are living and among those who are perishing. Don't neglect this salvation. 
Don't just say you have a goal to get to heaven and do nothing to get there. But it's real, guys. It's real and we're almost there. Should the Lord tarry? Should the Lord tarry? And I, and I die in this earth. I am so ready to see Jesus. I'm so ready. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.